That's good, yeah. Well, we are delighted to be with you, and uh, I just am thrilled with this opportunity to help uh, be a part of uh, looking and trying to develop during this transition time for a new senior pastor. And uh, I want you to know, I'll speak for the music department as, as well, uh, all of the music department. They're going to have their best stuff on Sunday morning. I'm going to bring my best messages. If you'll come with the best attitude, then we'll have a party every Sunday. How's that? I'll make you that deal. I want one of the things that I hope that we'll do on Sunday is have a lot of fun. I think that's behind the word celebration. We'll celebrate Christ together. We'll celebrate his church. We'll celebrate his life. And I trust that when you come, you will have a just an absolute ball worshiping the Lord. Time for reflection for sure. But uh, knowing that when you leave here, you're not just looking for information, but you've found transformation in your life. Now would you stand with me as we give our point to the reading of God's Word this morning. From Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse 6. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set down by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way. You saw him go. You may be seated. Lord, would you just take the meditations of my heart, the words of my mouth at this point, and make them acceptable unto you. May nothing come that is of any distortion or untruth. And may you use it to glorify yourself today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Why is it so important? Who rules? It's interesting to me that the disciples, in this post-resurrection experience, sometime after the cross, after the actual rising of Jesus from the grave, are now gathered on this hillside. And they're about ready to witness Jesus going back into heaven. And most people think that by this time, the disciples have got the picture. They really understand who Jesus is. There are certain glimpses of the Gospels that give us that. Fellas, could you back up on that slide, and we won't have it come out until we're ready here. Just kind of go back to it. Good. One of the things that I think is uh, important here is where they are in relationship to Jesus and what they've got. Peter was watching from a boat, and he sees Jesus in a post-resurrection experience walking along the water, and he kind of almost like drops his, his net, and he says, Oh, my goodness, he is who he said he was, the Son of God and the Savior of mankind. But I'm going to contend this morning that these disciples, even though they got a lot, did not get it completely. I don't think they got it because of the question they asked in verse 6. Is it this time you're going to restore the kingdom? I mean, I think some of them were actually of the majority opinion that Jesus was going to come in and take the Romans out and restore Israel to its prominent order. And I think some of the disciples, as they're watching Jesus ascend into heaven, as he's about ready to go, they're thinking to themselves, oh man, we were this close. 
We were this close to seeing the kingdom, and we were this close to watching our guy rule. And during Resurrection Week, we, we experienced a loss, but now it could be that we're going to lose again, and, but we really want Him to be here because if He's here and His presence is here, then we know His rule will be here. And if His rule is here, then maybe it's going to be important that He really rule and get what we need. Why is that true? Well, number one, many times when we think about who rules, number one, it's all about freedom. I don't want people telling me how to live. Or number two, it's all about how I perceive the world should be and how it should be ordered. My political party understands that, and I'm aligned with them in their effort to rule. Or perhaps it's this, I'm voting for the person and or the party that will bring about the kind of life I want. A life that will enable me to live my days in an abundant way. Now to be sure, I know there are others who can do all the work. There are others who can pay the price. I don't want to do that. I want other people to maintain the dream, but I want to live the way I want. I'm here to tell you this morning that nobody gets the life they want. But they do get the life that Christ promised to them. When he said, I came to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. Most of us just want an opportunity to pursue what we want to do. When I did my doctorate at Fuller, my advisor was Dr. Ray Anderson. He wrote a book called Minding God's Business, one of the best books I've ever read. And today it seems that most of us mind our own business or we mind somebody else's business. But the issue should be that we mind God's business because it's in God's business that we experience most of His power. In fact, we experience all of His power when we're about doing His business. But there are times where we're like those disciples and we're, we can identify with them on this hill as Jesus is about ready to ascend. And I can't help but think that Jesus is saying to these disciples, just as He's about ready to ascend, right after Resurrection Week, and He's saying, I know you thought you lost me once. But you didn't. And I know you feel like you're about ready to lose me now. Again, but you won't. I don't think there's a thing, anything as scary as when you think you've lost God. Well, maybe there is. It may be when you think God's lost you. And you don't sense the presence of God. You may be here today. And you may feel like God is very far off. Or maybe you even think He's disappeared. There are many people who feel that way. There are many people who they've had no communication, they haven't had any feeling, they've had no contact. And they feel that some of the things they've done in their life, some of the sins they've committed, God has said to them, that's it, you've crossed the line, no more presence. From here on, you go alone. No more contact with you. And these disciples sitting on this hill... Jesus says, I, I know you thought you lost me once, but you didn't. I know you feel like you're about ready to lose me again, but you won't. I'll be with you unto the end of the age. I'll never leave you or ever forsake you. And, and I want us to understand that as we begin together this adventure, this transition that we need to know that during this time, the presence of God 
is very much alive and is here. Beginning on June 17th in the amphitheater, I'm going to start a series called The Great Transitions of the Bible. You see, it's in transition that God does some powerful things that He doesn't even do outside of transitions. Everybody experiences transitions, don't we? We experience transitions uh, in our job. We, we transfer jobs. We've, some of you have been living in the flat land and now you're up in the mountains. And you experience a transition up here. Sometimes our kids grow up, well, they, hopefully they always do, and they grow up and they leave home, thank God, and, uh, and, and, and they, take their, they take their mates and they establish homes and they bring grandchildren. That's another transition. But it's in transitions that God teaches us marvelous and great things. There are even transitions in marriages, unfortunately. And during that time, it's been my experience to learn from many who have gone through very tough transitions in marriage that that was the point that God met them and met them big time. And during this time that you're in a transition, a pastoral transition, God's going to do some phenomenal things that He cannot do outside of transitions. We want to explore that together. But nobody ever gets the life they want. But they do get the life that God wants. People on the website I went to were bemoaning why they've given up on Christianity. I went to Google not too long ago, and I just typed in this sentence, Why have people quit believing in Christ? And to my amazement, there were over 14,000 responses. Plus. I, I did not read them all. I, I read about 50. Maybe a few more. And here's what they said. Uh, I've given up because I lost my child. He took, God took my child. He didn't bless my business. He didn't heal me or he didn't heal my loved one. I don't believe that God can allow war. What kind of a God, what kind of a just God would ever allow war? I even found a couple. One was kind of humorous. It says, I gave up believing in Christ because Bush got elected. Don't worry, it's coming. You can hear it coming. One said, because Obama got in. It doesn't matter what political stripe you're from. I, for the last 14 years, I've had the privilege of being in the Colorado House of Representatives in the Senate as one of their chaplains. I've made friends on both sides of the aisle. And I can tell you that they believe it's important who rules in Colorado. And without proper presence, they get nervous. But you and I are Christ followers, and we're part of the church of Jesus Christ. And we believe that He rules and He alone. And so when these disciples saw Him about ready to leave, and they thought they were this far from getting what they wanted, Jesus kind of turns to them, at least in my thinking, and He says, I know you thought I lost me once, but you didn't. And I know you feel like you're about ready to lose me again, but you won't. E.Y. Harbray 
said this, No matter how much I prove and prod, I cannot quite believe in God, but I hope to God that He unswervingly believes in me. Who is E.Y. Harbray? He wrote the lyrics for the song Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Maybe I understand that song now. But God said, I'm not leaving. My presence will be with you, and I'm going to send the Comforter back. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit back, and He will be among you. He will be in you, and you will receive power. And I can just hear the disciples thinking in their heart, what kind of power? Power to be wealthy? Power to be healthy? (laughs) We certainly get enough of that on television, don't we? Uh, power that I'll succeed in my business and God will bless, bless, bless and He'll heal, heal, heal. Let me tell you something. That's not the power that He promised. We're going to look at three of those today. Three things that God promised that says, in this power that I'm going to give you, you will experience my presence to a degree that you've never felt. And you will never have to worry about saying these words again. I thought I lost you once, but I didn't. And I feel like today I'm going to lose you again, but I won't. No, C.S. Lewis wrote, A man can no more diminish God's glory or His presence by refusing to worship Him than a lunatic can put out the sun by scribbling the word darkness on the walls of his cell. What kind of power did he promise? Three things we'll look at today. Number one, he told us he'd give us power in speech. You will receive my power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Oh, people might say, how disappointing. I was hoping it would be for my success or my blessing, just like all these people on Google who quit believing in Christ because God didn't bless them or didn't take away sickness or didn't take away all these other things. No, God says, I will, you'll experience my power. You'll experience my presence when you are my witnesses where you live in that region, the, the United States, and further out even to the utmost part of the world. About two and a half years ago, I had the privilege of being the interim pastor in Frankfurt, Germany. And I do this for a living. I work for my denomination. I travel around the world teaching our church planting principles to other Christ-honoring denominations and organizations who want to plant English-speaking churches in the top and most key 100 cities of the world. It's a great job to have, and it's, I'm doing this in the fourth quarter of my life. But I do see a few guys with white hair out there who look like they're in overtime. So uh, I'm, I'm in, and, But then, as, team, as Tim Tebow has taught us, you win the game in overtime, so that's good. But I like traveling, and I, I enjoy that. And when I was in Frankfurt, we had four English speakers, one from North America, one from Africa, one from the Slavic nation, and one up in the Nordic Baltic. The only thing they had in common was Jesus and English. But they all worked for Deutsche Bank. And they were having a Bible study in Deutsche Bank because nobody really goes to church in Germany. At least the Germans don't. Only 2% of the nation even attends church. And of that 2%, almost 90% of them are over the age of 55. The kids have given up. We call it a post-Christian society. But these kids got attracted to these four English speakers who were having a Bible study in the Deutsche Bank building during the lunch hour. And during that time, within a few months, these two German nationals came to faith in Jesus Christ. 
went back to their national church there in Germany, and about a month later came back to the Bible study and said, we've got a problem. And we said, well, what's the problem? The problem is, is that the Jesus they're preaching in the national church is not the Jesus we found in the Bible study. Can we come to the international church? In some unique way, in the marketplace, Christ is being made known. And the Germans are actually interested in all this excitement over Jesus. Because for years all they have saw was some kind of dead kind of ritual in an old castle. <laughs> or these mausoleums. I will make you my witnesses. In Summit County, Colorado, the United States, and even Frankfurt, Germany. And when you're doing that kind of work, you'll never have a problem with my presence. You'll know that I've never left you and I've never forsaken you. You'll know that I'm with you unto the end of the age. In Romans chapter 16, verse 25, it says, Now all glory to God, who is able to make you strong. Strong in what? In preaching the good news. In minding His business. Jesus only gave three commands in the Bible. He, gave, he said, come, and then he said, follow, and then he said, abide. Was it rocket science? When he said, come, recognize who I am. When he said, follow, submit to me. And when he said, abide, depend on me totally. I know you thought you lost me once, but you didn't. And some days you feel like I've lost, you've lost me again, or you feel like it, but you won't. Number two, God gives us triumph. Not only does he give us power to speak, but he gives us triumph in making us an unbelievable aroma amongst people. He says that He always leads us in His triumph and that we are an aroma of life unto life and death unto death. What did He mean by that? When Rome captured a nation and they would bring this nation back to Caesar and they would march him into the Roman uh, buildings and the Colosseums and, and back in, they, they would have to come up near where the emperor lived and they'd kind of come up the steps a ways. But as they took that great left turn coming in from the, on the Via Appia, there, there would be a big incense altar burning with the, with the incense of Rome. And as these captives were led, the captives were divided into two sections, those who were going to give their life to Rome and those who weren't. After being captured, there were those who said, Okay, you captured me. I'll become Roman. I will bow my knee to Rome. And then there were those who said, We will die for our country. We will never bow our knee to Rome. For those who said they'd never bow their knee to Rome, they were led in in shackles, handcuffs, foot uh, 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 secured their feet and so forth. They were able to shuffle along. But for those who said they'd pledge their allegiance to Rome, they were unfettered. As they passed that great altar, they could smell that incense. And as they would smell that, for those who pledged their life to Rome, it was the smell of life. For those who didn't, it was the smell of death. You see, that's why your life is like an aroma. And that's why some of you do not get invited to certain parties. <laughs> because you're kind of a party pooper to the world. Because He leads us in His triumph. He doesn't say that He leads you in your triumph. But He's made you a powerful aroma right here in Summit County that when people go by you, they can smell death if they don't want to turn, but they can smell life in you if they're considering Christ. Did you know that, that your life, that your walk with Jesus Christ can be an aroma that draws people to life?
that you're so excited about being a Christ follower that they, they even ask the question, what's up with you anyway? You see, being a Christ follower doesn't mean you're going to become the most popular person in Summit County. But it will be a person who's deeply respected. And then there are those who give the aroma of life, and sometimes they're pastors and sometimes they're not. But when you're down and you're having a bad day and you're discouraged and everything's kind of fallen on you, you're disappointed, it's not going your way, there are people who you call who you want encouragement with because they bring life into your home. They bring life where you're going to meet them at Starbucks or wherever you meet them, Starbucks, Four Bucks, wherever it is. You're there and you bring life. And third, he says, my presence, when the Comforter comes and the Holy Spirit comes into you, not only will give you a great speech, not only will give you a great aroma, but he'll also lead you in tremendous progress. In Philippians 1.12, he said, I would have you know that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. He didn't say for the greater progress of my career. What are his circumstances? Well, Paul is under house arrest. I think the Roman authorities thought this is the best way we can kind of nip Paul in the bud. Let's put him in jail, then he won't be able to preach. But every six hours, he was chained to a Roman guard. And if he was chained to the guard, I would assume the guard was chained to Paul. In fact, if you want to feel sorry for somebody, you should feel sorry for the guard. To be chained up to this fanatic Paul, who every chance he got, he would cheer Christ with people. In fact, I know he did. At least I think he did. I can't say this is absolutely gospel truth, although I am very fond of my own opinions. But when you get to chapter 4, verse 22 and 23, it says, it says, and all of Caesar's household greet you. How did Paul get into the Caesar's household for them to greet you too? My contention is he probably shared Christ with the guard who shared with the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, whoever else was around there. And now the whole palace had heard about Christ. He was doing the same thing in that set of circumstance as he was out of it. What's the worst thing that could ever happen to you? I don't want it to happen. But Paul said in verse 13 through 15, I would have you know, brethren, that some people are preaching the gospel with more boldness since I've been put in jail. Because they're seeing that I'm doing the same thing in jail as I was out of jail. There's a situation where we come to the understanding that He leads us in this powerful progress of the Gospel. I know you thought you lost me once, but you didn't. I know you feel like you're going to lose me again, but you won't. I had a professor, and I was thinking about him not too long ago, in fact, just a few weeks ago, when my dear friend Bill Ankerberg, who's pastor in California, and I were reliving some of our days at Bethel University in St. Paul, Minnesota. We had a professor there by Clarence Bass, who everybody took in this Christian college, we took a beginning theology course, and Dr. Bass was that person. Dr. Bass was a very intellectual guy. He wasn't uh, what you'd call friendly. He had kind of a prickly personality, but he was a giant in theology. 
But one day in chapel, he shared this story that when he was a young man living in the South, one of his duties was to read to his blind grandfather as a junior high student. That was his task every day, to read a section of Scripture to his blind grandfather. And so he would do that religiously. And they were coming to the end of the Scripture. They had read the Bible a couple of times together during his high school, or his junior high and high school years. And they got to Revelation 21, and the blind grandfather was sitting on the porch as Clarence was reading. And he got to verse 3 in 21, and he said, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among His people. He will live with them, and they will be His people. God Himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things will be gone forever. And the grandfather turned to Clarence and said, you read it wrong. Read it again. Clarence, wanting to be an obedient grandchild, read it again. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things will be gone forever. And grandfather said, you read it wrong. Read it again. Well, three times and you're out with a, with a junior high kid. So this was it. He will wipe away. He said it kind of tough. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. and There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. And all these things are gone forever. He said, you read it wrong again, Clarence. Read it wrong. Read it again. Well, Clarence, being a high school kid, actually took the Bible and kind of threw it in his grandfather's lap lap and said, you read it. Well, the blind grandfather picked it up and mockingly read it back. Not mockingly, but pretending that he could see. And this is what he said. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying or pain or blindness. All these things will be gone forever. My friend, there will come a time where there will be no more cancer. There will be no more blindness. There will be no more poverty. There will be no sickness. There will be no more strokes. There will be no more divorce. There will be no more children that are estranged. There will be no corruption. There will be no false politicians. Heck, there won't even be Weight Watchers. But for now, His presence will never leave you or forsake you. He'll be with you to the end of the age. But the way He's going to demonstrate that is making you witnesses. Understanding that you're in aroma. Understanding that your circumstances will turn out for the greater progress of the gospel. That's why you're a Christ follower. I'm not here to make Dillon Community Church the greatest church that ever lived. I'm not here to make Dillon, Dillon Community Church the largest churches that are ever on the face of the earth. If people want to come, that's great. I hope they do. I hope they come and celebrate Jesus Christ with us. But our job is minding God's business. And in his, when we do, we understand His presence and His power in a way that we've never known before. I know you thought you lost me once, but you didn't. And there are days you probably feel like you're going to lose me again, but you won't. Three weeks ago when I was in Tallinn, Estonia, Dr. Toivai Pili, who is professor of New Testament and theology in Tartu University, addressed us in 
Tallinn. When the Soviets occupied Estonia, and Estonia has been occupied by many, by many nations, but the last great occupation was that of the Soviet Union under a very tough, tough communist rule. They came into Tallinn in the inner city where there's still a wall around the old city. And inside the wall of that old city are where eight churches. The communists took over all seven of those churches and made them into state buildings and told all eight churches they had to meet in one church. So they had eight different services until some of them discovered that they had similar theology and then they combined efforts. The KGB set up headquarters right next to the church, taped every message of every sermon that was ever given in there to make sure there was no anti-communist sentiment being broadcasted or said. Dr. Toive Pili's grandfather gave a devotional in church one Sunday when it was under the communist regime, and he said, they've come in and they've taken our jobs, they've taken our churches, they've taken all our money, they've even taken our children and put them in the army and they were killed. They've taken everything. But the Bible says that we are to serve God. May I contend that we serve God not on the basis of what we had at one time, but what we have left. What do you have left? I sat there in that devotional and I said, well, and I know I don't look it, but I'm almost 70. I've got 10 more years, probably of active service. It's yours, Lord. I've got a good marriage that functions very well. It's yours. I don't have a lot of money, but i got a few bucks. Use it. It's not what I once thought I had or even wanted or thought of some success I might have or the progress of my career. But it's what I have now. And it belongs to you because it's about mine and your business. And when we do, I sense your presence and I sense your power in a way that I've never felt. And even this morning, there may be one person sitting here today who says, you know, things have been tough this year. It hasn't been the easiest year for me. Or there may be some of you sitting and even in a tougher way have said, this has been a phenomenal year for me. Be careful because you might confuse God's blessing and presence with your success or your career. It is when we are in His business that He brings about that blessing. Oh, postscript. When the wall finally fell, the KGB headquarters were raided. They went in and they found all these tapes. Of all the broad, of all, all these tapes that they had taped of all the sermons that had ever been preached in this service. Very evangelical, Christ-honoring, begging people to come to Christ, knowing that Jesus was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You know what they did with those, those Estonian people did it? They put it on Estonian radio. <laughs> the KGB tapes. And hundreds of people came to faith in Christ. <laughs> what the KGB meant for evil, God used for good. He blesses when we're about His business. We have the opportunity this year to be in a transition and to see His blessing. And I pray that more than anything else, this year, this summer, you will send his, sense His presence 
in a powerful way that you've never felt before. Lord, I want to thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Thank you for being, being having this opportunity to begin this process and begin this opportunity of blessing and ministry with these people. Guide us, guard us. Make your presence known to us. And may we lift you up and you alone. And may this be a, a year personally where we can all say, I have come to the fact that I know that he will never leave me or ever forsake me. And he is with me unto the end of the age. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And amen. All right. Here's the deal one more time. Band's going to knock it out of the park every week. I'm going to preach the best stuff I know how. You're going to show up with a spiritual attitude, and we are going to celebrate Jesus every Sunday. Deal? Amen. We're dismissed. All right.